Good morning. I am back up early and live. Hopefully live. Hopefully it's all working. Yes, it says you're live. It's always very reassuring. That's awesome. All right, I've got a heap of stuff today. Um, <clears throat> last week wasn't very businesslike. Uh, actually, here's a, here's a fun fact for last week while I'm here. <clears throat> and I'm quite okay with this, even though it's numbers going down. Uh, I have written before i think i was talking about last week actually this blog post about guitar lessons you know like the ricky gervais skit thing where i tweet a bunch of stuff it's not necessarily all on the infosec or the cyber security or iot or 3d printing or whatever topic uh, and that's fine i'm happy with that if you don't like it you can well you can unfollow i was going to say something else <laughs> so i was just looking at my uh, analytics.twitter.com and when I got back from that holiday on the Great Barrier Reef and I just posted like a whole slew of epically nice photos, my, uh, my follower count did reduce by, I think, some number of hundreds. It's hard to tell because it's just a graph that's like organically going up. And, there's like, <laughs> and that is fine. I just wanted to make that point. I'm really, it's, it's not that I'm happy about it, but it's like that, that is fine. You get to follow me as a whole person. And I've seen other people that have got good followings sort of say in the past, you know, they'll get criticized because they talk about politics or something like that, which is frankly the last thing I want to talk about. But they get criticized for that and then they're like, well, look, this is like you're following the person, you're following me. G'day, Neil. Neil's here. Mitch from Ottawa. I haven't been to Ottawa yet. Uh, opinions in tech from Washington State. Definitely been to Washington State many, many times. Let me uh, talk about some sponsor things before we jump into the other cyber things. Sponsor again today is Collide. Got Slack, got Max. Get Collide, device security that fixes challenging problems by messaging users on Slack. Try Collide for 14 days for free. Uh, and Collide is another one of these sponsors who I have had around on many different occasions for quite a while now. So again, I really appreciate them helping out so that I can sit here and talk about random things which apparently are of interest to some people. Collide is endpoint security powered by people. Message your employees on Slack, providing customized security and compliance recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices. And as I always say, giving stuff away for free is good. So you get a couple of weeks of free Collides to go and see what the folks over there do. Thank you, Collide. Nils from Cuba. Wow, I've not been from Cuba. I've not been from Cuba. I've not been to Cuba. Uh, Jason is in Toowoomba, which I imagine is very different to Cuba. I've got to go to Toowoomba tomorrow, actually, Jason. My son's playing tennis there. So Toowoomba is a couple of hours' drive away from where I live here, which is very different <laughs> to going to Cuba. I'd love to go to Cuba. I'm finally just starting to plan overseas travel again, which is really, really cool. It's a bit daunting. <laughs> Charlotte and I are planning a honeymoon. We were looking at it yesterday going, gee, that... That spot, I won't say where it is, but yeah, that spot seems a bit of a distance away. I might be jet-lagged if I go there. And so, like, gee, I've forgotten my previous life really, really quickly, haven't I? It's World Password Day today if you are still on yesterday. So yesterday is the 5th of May. Today, of course, as Jason knows, is the 6th of May. Uh, I didn't really celebrate. I didn't get like a Hallmark card or anything. Uh, I just did media. <laughs> People like, can you, uh, Jason will understand this. I got a, a call from, uh, it was like Tamworth, ABC Tamworth. So Tamworth is like the country music capital <clears throat> of Australia. 
not a place you immediately associate with passwords, but I guess they have passwords in Tamworth. But that seems to have then been picked up by the ABC syndicate and rolled out a bit further, uh, which is good because it's, it's visibility into effectively me saying, go and get a password manager and <laughs> stop trying to remember everything. I did notice uh, one of the media outlets quoted me as saying that you should create uh, strong, unique usernames, which is not what I said. So, no, not that. Sir TZN is asking, what country are you in? <laughs> what country does it sound like I'm in? Uh, I am in Australia. So I'm, I have been in Australia now for nearly two and a half years. It was Feb 2020. Uh, I returned from Europe. And there you go. Wayne Clinton, good evening, good morning. Book. The book is getting very, very close. I've actually spent most of this week doing book things. Uh, now, just to recap, I'm writing a book, which is largely a collection of existing blog posts. I say largely because there is some new stuff in there. In fact, one of the things I was doing today was adding, or this week rather, it's too early today to have done much. Uh, but was adding uh, new things in addition to the blog post. So uh, if you go to book.troyhunt.com, in fact, we're just about to update this website, you'll see the preview of that. And there's a downloadable preview with a couple of full chapters. And we, we got a bunch of feedback. Like we put it out there as a preview to get feedback from people to help us define the rest of the book. And... Based on feedback, there's a number of things we've changed. Now, one of those things I've changed is I've completely rewritten the introduction. And the, the penny that sort of dropped, and this is the discussion I was having with Rob. I'll tell you what I emailed Rob. Why not? <laughs> In the name of transparency. So Rob Connery, who many people know because he's, he's a noteworthy guy, um, he is effectively producing the book. So he is coordinating Charlotte and I to make this into a... Uh, a book that people might actually want to buy. So what did I say in here? Here we go. So I just decided to completely rewrite the intro. I don't know what it was about the first one, but it just lacked pop. I think it was too factual. This happened, then that happened, then this other thing happened. The rewritten version is the same length, but I've chopped a bunch of the irrelevant history and focused more on telling the story. It's still in the same doc. It would be good for you both to have a read. And I sent that off, and then a couple of hours later, I got a text message from Rob. I'm sure I can just... Just read what his text message is. He wouldn't care. Yes. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> he was very happy with the rewritten version. But this is based on some of the feedback from people. I've also uh, embellished a lot more in some of the other some of the other chapters because we want to make sure there's a lot of stuff beyond the blog post. So this is the whole point of this book is it's like there's an intro, there's going to be some uh, forwards from a couple of people. I don't know that we've named who they are yet, but they're people that most of you will know. And then for the blog posts that are in there, it's like here is the reason, here's the story behind it. Like here's why I did this because there is a story. And then here's the things that happened afterwards. So, you know, as an example, there's a bit in there about the Ashley Madison uh, data breach and, and the blog post I wrote about all the things that people were telling me who had been in the Ashley Madison data breach. And it, it, it like, like you're probably sitting here going, well, what would people who are in the Ashley Madison data breach say? It's like, I wanted to go out and have affairs. I'm a bastard <laughs> kind of thing. It's like, that's, that's not it. That's not what was interesting. What was interesting was the, the personal impact on people and the feelings of despair. And in some cases, people saying 
in their comments on the blog post or emails they sent me about just wanting to end it all, which is like, I am ill-equipped to have that discussion. Um, so it was, it was, it was really, really, I don't know, like it, it, it stings. You'll, you'll understand when you read it. But what was interesting in terms of the, the aftermath, because every blog post in the book has got an epilogue, is that for years afterwards, people were still getting like blackmail attempts. And then what's been happening more recently, and I can talk about this because I was tweeting it the other day, is production companies reaching out wanting to write a documentary, or not write a documentary, like create a production documentary, like a TV thing, for, and this is the way they've phrased it, but I think you can join the dots, it's like a premier online streaming platform. No idea what that could be. So one of these companies, a company called Minnow Films, uh, apparently is now doing this. And, and the reason I know and I can say that is because they asked me to tweet a couple of weeks ago saying, yeah, hey, if you're in the Ashley Madison data breach and you'd like to talk to us, can you get in touch? In fact, originally they're like, can you just, can you email some of the people who reached out to you and ask if they'd like to be in a documentary? And I was just like, nope, nope, nope. There's no way in the world I'm going to contact people who, in many cases, I'm sure, were going through the worst time of their lives and have now, hopefully, moved on in whatever form that means for each person. So I'm going to reach back out to them and go, hey, you know that really, really painful thing you've tried to leave behind you? <laughs> Would you like to come up and I'll tweet about it, but I'm not emailing people. So anywho, that looks like it's going to be a thing. Uh, I'm not quite sure of the timeframes, but the point is like this is a good example of, of, of an epilogue to a blog post. There's a lot of stuff that's happened after that. There are some brand new things at the end as well. Uh, they're not blog posts. They're just things that will be exclusive to the book. I think we are going to have that out. Our plan is within the next month. And in fact, there is one more thing I've got to write, which I'm going to do today, and that is literally all of the things I was meant to write done so then it's going to be large up to rob comments here bonnie hi from nd usa where's nd i feel like sometimes people in america assume that everyone else knows nd state is it nevada north dakota no nevada's nv isn't it north dakota i have not been to north dakota one day Wayne, did you see those Lego Bugatti Chiron lights kit? I did. I don't know if it was you that sent it to me, Wayne, or someone else. It has been around for a while. There is a... <laughs> the screen here is back to front. There is a Lego Bugatti Chiron just there. There is also uh, a Leggy Lamborghini Cyan, which I've been building and tweeting as it goes for probably 18 months. And there is also uh, a, a Lego Porsche 911 sitting somewhere up there, completely unopened, that Charlotte gave me for my birthday. So I do need to get my Lego building on. Uh, but I will finish those things and put them out there. I uh, I saw it. I felt like if I can't even finish ongoing Lego projects, I probably don't need to go back and do more work on another one. Did look cool, though. Ivan, hi, does it feel awkward to write autobiography with your wife-to-be as editor? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think... I think it would be fair to say, and not disingenuous to Charlotte, that Rob is doing a lot more of the editing than Charlotte. Um, Charlotte is very, very good at organising people. So her her uh, expertise, her qualifications, unlike me, she actually has qualifications. Her qualifications are in PR. And as the organiser, one of the key organisers of the NDC conference for many, many years, she's very good at bringing people together and, and making stuff happen. 
English is her second language. There are, she has perfect English, probably better than my English, but there are nuances which mean that uh, Rob is probably better at doing that sort of thing than she is, and she's certainly better at doing a lot of the other things than he is. Uh, but there is some stuff in the book about Charlotte, uh, and she has a contribution too. And I'll, I'll just I'll leave it at that because I want to leave a little bit of surprise element here. Okay, Wayne, it was you that tweeted. All right, where were we? That was the book. The book is coming. The, you know the problem with the book, and I'm sure we all have this. There are different things in life that we all have to do, want to do, that we feel like doing at different times. This week. I just felt like cleaning up the cupboard with my AV gear in. To be done for a very, very long time. But for some reason, I just felt like doing it this week. Creative pursuits like writing are something that you just need to be in the mood for. It's very, very hard to sit down when you don't feel like it and go, I'm going to write. And and one of the reasons the book is not... I wanted to have it out by Christmas. This was the plan. But one of the reasons it has been delayed is that there just haven't been a lot of times where I have felt like sitting down and creatively writing i've written a bunch of blog posts in that time but usually it's because i'm angry at something (laughs) i'm pissed at the way someone's handled this data breach i'm going to sit down and write angry words now because that's what i feel like doing it's very hard when you feel like there's an obligation i don't know how like real authors do it (sighs) climbing the wall when iot fails charlotte tweeted a photo this week and uh it it led to some interesting discussion and I, I think it's let me find where it is it's basically it's basically a photo of me climbing over the brick concrete rendered wall surrounding our house because the iot couldn't open the garage door and people made many interesting observations <clears throat> many incorrect assumptions uh here we go Charlotte, behind the scenes, when your home automation doesn't work and Troy Hunt needs to jump the fence to open the garage door. So here's where it all went wrong. In fact, this sort of ties into the other thing I had on my list here about rolling MQTT to native Shelly. I've got a bunch of these Shelly relays in the house. In fact, I've got about 60 of them in the house. So these are the things that I'm, okay, I'm holding up a pair of AirPod Pros, which actually don't work anymore, here in my hand. It's around about the size of that. <clears throat> they... Uh, they market it saying that they're the size of like two Oreo cookies stacked on top of each other. Small enough to fit behind a light switch. And they're IoT relays, which means they just open and close a circuit. Uh, they can open and close a circuit based on a button switch, so you, your buttons on the wall still turn your lights on and off, or they can do it digitally through any number of different means, uh, through uh, calling an API, through integrating into Home Assistant, through MQTT message queues, if you like. Heap of them in the house. And I asked the other day, I said, um, <clears throat> in Home Assistant, there's a native Shelly integration. The native integration came, geez, only six months ago or something. And I've got all of my Shellys there. But I've also configured everyone to use MQTT. So it's using the Mosquito Broker in Home Assistant to be able to communicate with Home Assistant via message queues. So instead of the Shelly talking directly to Home Assistant, it sends messages and it reads messages from the broker and then Home Assistant does the same thing. So the broker sits there as an intermediary and implements a message queue pattern. And that's been really, really, really reliable. 
But as best I could tell, so was the native integration, and I was ending up with like every device appearing twice and effectively two ways of calling it. And then for some reason, one or two of the Shelleys I just couldn't get working on MQTT. So they were using the native. It was just a mess. And I tweeted out and I said, look, how are people doing this? And everyone was like, oh, you know, native integration, awesome, no problems. So I went through and I deleted all of the MQTT implementation. I deleted the integration. I deleted Mosquito Broker. I went through every single Shelly and I removed MQTT from the configuration, which you can do very easily based on API. So a long time ago when I realized that Shelly's were going to take care and feeding, I just wrote a script to enumerate them, read settings, write settings, etc. That bit was easy. Now, the problem I have, and this is something I'm working with Ubiquity on as well, is that I have a lot of IP addresses. I've got something like 200 IP addresses in the house. And what I believe the problem is, is broadcast traffic effectively making it very difficult for some devices to talk to other devices. Uh, In particular, very difficult to talk to a bunch of wireless devices. Now, when you had MQTT, you've got the device reaching out to a hardwired implementation, Home Assistant, Raspberry Pi, wired into the server rack. No problems with the Shelleys reaching out to that device, sitting there on a, for all, it's, it's a reserved IP address, but for all intents and purposes, static IP address. No problems there. When you roll to the native Shelley integration, now you've got Home Assistant trying to reach out to that wireless device by IP address, and very often it just can't get to it. Long story short, <laughs> we walked out, closed all the doors, and I could not invoke the Shelly to open the garage door. Now, that is the technical reason as to why I couldn't get the garage door to work. The logistical reason as to why the hell am I dependent on that and I didn't just use a key... <sighs> Where do I begin? <laughs> we have a garage door, which is like a roller door, It's got the motor, it's got the Shelly on that. Uh, There are remote controls for it. I haven't used them for a very long time because for the most part, the Shelly's been working very stably and I can just ask the lady whose name I won't mention on my wrist to open the door. Uh, And I can do that in the car with CarPlay or in the, the Nissan, which doesn't have CarPlay. I just talk to the watch. We also have a, like a gatehouse and a normal door that people walk through, not a car door. And that, of course, does have a keyhole on it and there is a key for it. It is a key issued by Energex. So in Australia, Energex, is Energex a public body? Anyway, it's a fact that people come around and say, read your energy meter. You have to have a standard key, which effectively the person who come and reads your meter uh, has like a master key to as well. So it has to be that standard size key. Now, as, as you're probably gathering, this is not like a high security system called Clearly because I jumped over the fence. Uh, this is literally like a wall around the house where once you are in there, then the house is still all locked up with all the normal deadlocks and things like that. So it's not high security, which is why the energy person can just sort of wander in. Now, that is a very specialized key. It sits there on the key ring with the fat, chunky remote controls for my Mercedes and for the Nissan and a few other keys. Now, when Charlotte and I go out for a walk and we walk down to the beach and we get a coffee, I normally take just just a house key because I like to travel light. <laughs> you know, I'm just wearing like my boardies and a pair of shoes, maybe a shirt, and no t-shirt top and that's it I travel light and I don't take that big chunky key and I haven't needed to because I could just raise my risk and ask to be let in so this is why I didn't have the key to that door 
Now, once the Shelley failed and the Shelley was effectively no longer addressable via Home Assistant, that's when I was only left with the option to jump the fence. Things I want to do to fix this, uh, we'll do this in reverse order. So starting from where I just finished, I am waiting on a Ubiquiti G4 Pro doorbell. Now that has a fingerprint reader and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we can tie that in to enroll fingerprints and then via Home Assistant release the latch. Now the latch at the moment on the door of I've got no idea how it works. So this is going to be like a work in progress. I really want to do that because I want like the kids to be able to come home and just go, you put your finger on the door and you just walk in. So there's that. The other bit is I've got to fix the situation with the Shelleys being inaddressable. And I've got a draft email here to Ubiquity. I spent time talking to some folks there yesterday about that. And really, the, the I guess the macro problem I'm trying to solve is that when you have a home network with a large number of IoT devices, how should you configure it? Because this isn't just my problem, and particularly as we get more and more IoT stuff, this is going to become everybody's problem. So I am planning on writing a bunch of stuff around that to try and explain, here is the problem, here's how to measure it and quantify it, and here's how to fix it. And at the moment, I can really only do the first bit of that. I don't know enough about networking, and I don't have enough visibility into the data to be able to answer that next bit. But I look at this as a, as a challenge. This is going to be something that I learn and I'm going to write it up and document it and hopefully it will then be better for everybody. Time will tell. Okay, Ivan, you can configure the Shelleys to directly talk to HAIP and avoid broadcasting. But it's not the Shelleys talking to HA. Like when I go, I'll give you a good example. Let's go to my home assistant over here. If I go into my home assistant and I want to turn on a light, that is Home Assistant reaching out to the Shelly. It's not like pulling an intended status from Home Assistant. So, and, and correct me if I have fundamentally misunderstood anything, but as best I can tell, it needs to go the other way. Now, one of the things that I've, I've done here is I've got one page that just lists like every single one of my Shelleys, and it has the little graph of its status off on and unavailable and what i find really weird with a lot of these is you know most of them are fine they just say on the whole time but if i go to toggle it sometimes it'll work sometimes it won't this is in our current situation with the broadcast traffic but then some of them like the one that does the front garden i've got a whole bunch of spots here it says unavailable now this is behind a switch with the one that does the carport lights and i see the carport lights saying always available and I just find that a little a little disconcerting if like if we're going to do IOT on mass scale in homes in the future and I feel like we're just in this really really early days now and, and the things we do now will shape the future of the IOT, really early days now and, and the things we do now will shape the future of the IOT home but if we're going to do this we've got to have reliable connectivity thing for and it's not like we can just like throw Zigbee at it and fix it either because I've got Zigbee devices which are just inconsistent you know, I've literally got three Philips Hues around a fireplace we have inside uh, because one's on the left, one's on the right, and one's underneath. And I'll turn them on and two of them will come on and then the other one won't. And I don't know why. And they're Philips Hue, mains powered, and they're right next to each other. So each one should act as a repeater. So it's not like the distance it is from the conbi sticking into the... Ah, anyway. No, really, IoT is awesome. It's good fun. <laughs> 
RMS there. Uh, Null division. Why not use facial recognition for the doorbell? It already has a camera. As far as I know, it does not have any capability for facial recognition built into it. Now, just remember, too, with, with and, and maybe this is a question of, of the degree of security you require, but facial recognition, when we look at something like an iPhone, it, it's not just a camera, it's infrared and it's the dot sensors and there's a whole bunch of different things that go, you know, even the fact that you need attention, maybe you can do that with the camera, I don't know, but there's many other things. If you use uh, Windows Hello with facial recognition, it can't be just a camera. You have to have something like one of the uh, one of the Logitechs which have uh, infrared built into it as well. So that alone, I don't believe would be sufficient. I understand what you're saying, but yeah. So I think just just as a technology concept, camera alone is insufficient for any sort of degree of reasonable confidence with facial recognition. Maybe that would be okay for a front gate into a fairly common area anyway. Uh, but as far as I can tell, there is no implementation of that within Ubiquiti's product or within Home Assistant or anything else either. So once that device comes with a fingerprint reader, though, at least there'll be the ability to, to read fingerprints. I'm just not sure if that will just tie into the burgeoning ubiquity ecosystem of of like office automation or whether i can plug it into ha we'll find out soon wayne says i wonder if the switch on some is acting like an rf shield i don't know because it's just inconsistent clinton says iot equals relationship stress testing (laughs) you know what's really annoying at the moment and all of this will still work once i make it all work again and i probably could just go and reinstall mosquito broker and set i really just need to script all this so i can go run the script to set up all the mosquito broker stuff again um run the script to delete it and then i'll have the best of both worlds but what's really annoying is i've realized just how awesome all of my setup was in terms of having all of the lights on just right at the right time in the right part it was beautiful it was so nice We'll get back to it. All the scripts still exist. So it's got to make the devices accessible. Wayne has two Zigbee lights on the front door, and 95% of the time they are fine. Every now and then one won't come in. Pop into HA, turn it on, and it works. And I just I just feel that 95% is not enough, you know? And part of the reason I feel it's not enough is if you think about a normal light, what percentage of the time does the light work exactly as intended? You know, you go to the light switch and click it. What percentage of the time does it not turn on? Well, the, the only time I can think of is when you don't have power in the house or your light bulb's dead. Uh, so I'm putting both of those, particularly now with LEDs that just last almost forever, I'm putting both of those at extraordinarily rare. Like I, I almost want to see five nines. <laughs> you know, I want to see like five nines of reliability out of my IoT. And when it fails, I want to know why it's failed. And this is the problem I have at the moment. It might be the same with your, your front door, Wayne. But when my Zigbee fails or some other device fails, a lot of the time I just don't know why. And that really bugs me. Speaking of things that bug me in IoT, Lars talked me into getting a mailbox sensor. It's actually a proximity sensor. It's a read switch. And you could put it on a door to know when that's open. And I spoke about this, I think I spoke about it last week even. And I said, look, I've, I've tried Zigbee ones. I have Zigbee proximity sensors in various places. I have them on the garage doors so I know when it's up or, or closed. And I, I have that then tied into a home assistant cover 
the concept of a cover being something that you can open and close and then you know the state and, and the state is detected by these little proximity sensor read switches. I've wanted to have the ability to know when mail comes into the letterbox for a long time. <laughs> and the Zigbee ones, I could just, I could never reliably get a signal from. I might actually try it again now because I do have Philips Hue Zigbee likes within close proximity, which are always, always powered now due to the way I've redesigned some things. But I set this one up, which Lars has done, and uh, he's done a little video about it. I think I linked to it in my last weekly update. And he's on a farm with uh, some large distances, but he does have Wi-Fi down at his letterbox. But what I've found with this device is, first of all, it, it only seems to want to communicate to the network when an event happens, which which isn't a bad idea. I imagine that that's a, a good thing in terms of battery life. But it, it, just, it just means that the thing seems to be com- consistently dropping off and then it was consistently having trouble talking to any of the access points I had as well. Now, this is all paired in via Tuya. In fact, I haven't looked at this for almost a week now, but if I open up the Tuya app, do I even see the letterbox anymore, which has been opened and closed multiple times. It's actually got a little tamper sensor on it as well. So on the bottom of it, where you would normally sort of stick it onto something, it comes with double-sided tape on it. It's, it's got a little little pin and when you stick it on, the pin is depressed. If you take it off, the pin comes out and obviously triggers something. Uh, the letterbox. What's it say about my letterbox? It says, on uh, 30th of April. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's not real great. But see, that's like it. Yeah. Okay. Maybe if I pull it out of the letterbox, put it together. And, and for those of you interested, this is what it looks like if you can see it on the phone. Okay, get it out of the glare. It just like shows a little proximity sensor. But yeah, that's that's not accurate. It was cheap. Maybe, mind you, the Acara things are cheap and they actually work. Mostly. Just as I said that, I realized I did tweet the other day as well. For some reason, a bunch of my temp sensors all together not all of them, but a bunch of them at the same time started to suddenly return a reading of minus 100C. And they've done it in this really erratic pattern. It's like if I go through and turn off a bunch of these, and, and they don't consistently read like minus 100C either. They, uh, that's a good example here. Say my office. So literally this one right here, which I haven't stuck anywhere, it's reading at the moment. Roughly, uh, let's call it 26 Celsius. But then there'll be a line that just drops down to a minus 100 and goes straight back up. Like it's just had one reading of minus 100, which which feels like a very round number. It's not even decimal places. It's actually minus 100. And it does do decimal places because the current temp is actually 26.2 Celsius, which by pure coincidence aligns perfectly with the lcd display that i got on this other one because i just want to be able to glance over it so i think that's accurate i don't know what's going wrong with that it really only affects the display it's not like it's triggering something at minus 100 like your beer is about to explode or something like that it doesn't do that so they're very sort of one-off odd displays and then people are like oh maybe it's the batteries well you think like 10 devices at once suddenly hit all the batteries fail or maybe it's some rf interference like yeah but a, a bunch of them right next to each other are okay but the ones to the other side of them no really this is good fun <laughs> well, let's talk about actual 
actual uh, infosec stuff. Two things here. AusCert. Now, I only realized the other day that AusCert is back here on the Gold Coast. AusCert is arguably Australia's premier information security conference, which is on the Gold Coast. It used to be literally a stone's throw there. I could see it from my backyard. I could walk over there in about 15 minutes. It was fantastic. It now runs down at the casino in Broadbeach. Uh, and one of the first things I knew about it is I got an invitation to a whiskey night, which Hactive.io runs every year, which is fantastic. So, yes, I will go to the whiskey night. And anyway, so when I realized it was there, I reached out and said, look, can I, can I come and talk about something so that I can come along? So I am going to be doing a talk on, uh, I think it's going to be Thursday next week, which is going to be the 12th of May. <clears throat> I need to figure out what it's going to be. I've got an idea. I'm just not going to mention it yet. We literally only decided this yesterday. So I'll be at Ozsert. I will go along to the dinner with Charlotte that night as well. Uh, if you're around the Gold Coast and you come to Ozsert, come and say good day. I'll have a bunch of stickers and things like that and actually be able to go and meet people in person again. I need to add that to my list of events too. Last thing on the, on the formal list, and do feel free to shoot me questions on anything else, so long as it's not guitar lessons, uh, data breaches. I, I went on a little splurge the other day loading data breaches. Now, <laughs> what I mean by that is there's always a backlog of stuff. And every now and then I, I jump up and I just load a whole bunch of stuff at once. And I did, uh, I think I did four breaches in a day. Four? Three. So I'm going to talk about these a little bit generally, three, and then we will talk very specifically about this... Um, pay here breach so may the 2nd polish torrent website devil torrents if you're a user of devil torrents not so good for you breached early last year it looks like only dehashed i'm air quoting this for people listening to it later on dehashed uh passwords were included uh, alongside accounts so inevitably there, there is a breach which is probably like a sql map dump of the whole thing uh columns all sorts of other fields and things. And then someone goes through, they get all the email addresses and the hashed passwords, chuck them in a hash cat, crack as many of them as they can, and then they publish a subset of the whole thing, which is just the ones they've cracked. So although there's 63,000 unique email addresses and cracked passwords, which of course now appear in plain text, there are more than that in the original data breach. There are other fields in the original data breach. The person that sent it to me said, look, this is all I got at the moment. So maybe that will be bigger in the future if we get the whole thing. That was kind of an easy one to not need to disclose because it's like <laughs> you're a Polish torrent website. Um, I don't think you're really sort of into behaving responsibly. So there were references to, to it having been breached in other places as well. As there were this next one, similar sort of thing, a company called Aimware, <laughs> Game Cheats website. Now, incidentally, I had just listened to a recent Darknet Diaries where Jack talks about the commercial market for cheats. And it's, uh, let's call it as it is, it's a shitty practice. You know, if you're sitting there playing a game on your own on your own PC and there's no one else involved, go nuts, do whatever you want. But when you're out there playing with other people and using aimbots and stuff, like that's just, just, just practice and get better. So Aimware breached mid-2019, 300,000 email and IP addresses, usernames, salted MD5 password hashes, good on you guys, were exposed... Data also include forum post private messages and website activity. Now, this is where it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you've got private messages from people, 
depending on the nature of the site. If it was hypothetically cat forum, probably wouldn't matter so much. On the other end of the spectrum, some of the really nasty stuff that is clearly in the at best, at best, very grey area of what is legal, especially as it comes to, let's just say, adult activities. Uh, that's potentially really damaging. I would imagine that something like buying cheats, which is, uh, it's, I'm not sure that it's illegal, but it's scorned on, right? Having your private messages there attached to, if not your real email address, then probably your real IP address. I'm not sure how much effort the kids put into hiding their things via VPNs or so on. It's probably not going to look good to you. Good for you. I'll come back to VPN. Something interesting happened this week with the VPN. Pay here. So this was the one that was especially interesting. So I saw uh, some tweets around Pay Here, which is a Sri Lankan payment provider, just before I went on holidays. Uh, and someone sent me data, and I, I pulled the data down. Uh, and then during that time, someone else sent me data as well. So multiple people sent me data for Pay Here, 65 gigabytes of data with 1.5 million unique email addresses. And the messaging that I got from people was very much along the lines and I'm just going to repeat what they said. You can draw your own conclusions whether this is culturally accurate or not. But they said, look, uh, Sri Lanka covers a lot of stuff up. Um, things like data breaches, we, we just don't take seriously. And I don't know that I've actually dealt with the Sri Lankan data breach before, but Sri Lanka... Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <sighs> Sri Lanka is very close to India. The same observations have been made many, many times about India. I imagine there are some cultural similarities. I'm drawing a bit of a long bow here. I think before I dig myself in any deeper, perhaps the most reasonable thing to say is that seemed like a feasible explanation, that they weren't going to take this incident seriously and deal with it properly. So I found a blog post written about this incident, which is what I've linked to here. It's titled My Two Cents on the Pay Here Hack. I verified the data to a sufficient degree of confidence, loaded into Have I Been Pwned, sent a bunch of notification emails, 1.5 million addresses were in there. Only 17% were already in Have I Been Pwned. Often this is the case when there is a service from a country which is usually not largely represented in these data breaches. Uh, so yeah, maybe a lot of people from Sri Lanka uh, weren't out there using Dropbox and LinkedIn. I imagine it's more of an emerging market. They probably use a lot of local services compared to some of the more global ones as well. So not unusual to have only 17%. Now let's talk about the tweet thread that I wrote on this because I started sort of capturing this and sharing it publicly. And, and I did wonder if this was one where I was going to get a letter. <laughs> I always wonder if I'm going to get a letter. Uh, okay. Let's get through this thread. Oh, man. When I published this, uh, in fact, when I wrote it up, I think I wrote it up the day before I published it, and I couldn't find any information at all from Pay Here about the incident. I couldn't find public disclosure. There was nothing on their tweet timeline about this other than a couple of tweets at the very beginning of April acknowledging that they were under cyber attack, they have been taken offline, whatever else. Now, I managed to find other people also talking about uh, defacement. Now, if I go and have a look at the Have I Been Pwned tweet, you know, when a, when a website gets defaced, 
it, it is usually a strong indicator of having had some sort of security incident. Uh, and it's on public display, right? So if I go through to this... Uh, Da, 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 da. Where are we? This blog post, the pay here hack. Here we go. There's a tweet here that's linked to, and uh, literally pay here lk, which is the Sri Lankan TLD. The page says hacked. Hello, pay here users, idiot employee. Oh, geez, I haven't read all this. All right, I'm just going to read it. As it is, these are not my views. I do not necessarily endorse this. This is just what's there. Oh, boy. Can I open that image in a new tab so I can read it clearly? All right. Don't laugh. Hello, pay here users, idiot employees, and the piggy face CEO who makes stupid decisions. It's not very professional. We have already warned pay here about their insecure infrastructure, but they were careless, and this is the result of their negligence. We have breached Payhear's infrastructure and already transferred gigabytes of files to our offshore servers. You can't do anything. This includes the database dump, source code, business data, and much more. Even if you are not part of Payhear, but if you ever interacted with their payment gateway, then your data also included in the dump. Now, that's actually a really interesting point. We'll come back to who they're going to disclose to. But when I saw 1.5 million people, it's like, how many people are in Sri Lanka, actually? Population of Sri Lanka. It just felt like a large number of Sri Lanka. Uh, 21.92 million. It does feel like a significant number, doesn't it? To have one and a half million. Anywho. Pay here collects end users' data, such as order details, personal identification information, and more, during checkout. If you want us to remove yourself from the dump, all you have to do is donate 50,000 LKR worth of items slash amount to any charity and tweet with the hashtag PayHereDataLeak2022 before Sunday with your full name details which appears on PayHere. Wow, okay. How much is 50,000 LKR? 50,000. Oh, you know what's really interesting? Wow, as soon as I started typing that, it wants to auto-complete 5,000 AUD to LKR. And I've not searched this before. It's like Google knows. LKR to AUD. Uh, it's 195 Australian dollars, which is probably probably like 140 US dollars, somewhere thereabouts. I imagine that would be a lot, though, for most people in Sri Lanka. So uh, I don't think they would have got much payment on here. Stay with hashtag PayHereDataLeak2022 on Twitter to get more details about this dump. So they well and truly got owned because their website said that. I don't think there's any debate about that. So getting back to the tweet thread, here's where it gets kind of weird. May 2, PayHere, LK, says, Cybercrime Investigation Division, CCID, of Sri Lanka Police is currently investigating a cybercrime incident to identify the criminal and we got legal advice not to publish the detailed report immediately as it may benefit the criminal. Bullshit. <laughs> now, okay, maybe they did get legal advice, but if they didn't, the legal advice is bullshit. I've quoted this, and I'll just read it because it's pretty self-explanatory. You know what benefits criminals most? Allowing 1.5 million customer records to circulate amongst them without notifying the victims. This is just an appallingly irresponsible response that goes against every piece of good data breach response advice. 
And that's when I was thinking I might get a letter, which I didn't. I continue. To add to this, I was sent this data by multiple people more than two weeks ago, so it's in the so it's in many hands with plenty of time to be abused. Identity theft, phishing, spam. That's what criminals do with this data, and it's easier when the victims don't know they've been breached. Now, I'm clearly throwing them under the bus for this because they've known at the point they sent that tweet, they've known for a month that this has happened. Now, they have also misrepresented and then backpedaled what's happened. So my next tweet here. I've, uh, I've screen capped a part of their, their, their uh, blog post. We informed us, because they, they did actually do a disclosure note. Now, what I didn't realize when I first put the tweet out uh, and put it into Have I Been Pwned, I think because I'd written the content the day before, but like literally just after that, they had written a public piece. So after I put in Have I Been Pwned, I went back and I edited it and linked through to their piece. But anyway, in their public piece, they say, we informed the public that we do not capture, transmit, or store any credit card details through our servers but the card details are directly processed by our partner bank's servers, which have PCIDSS compliance. Therefore, we can confirm that credit card details of our merchants or their customers had not been compromised due to the attack. Or? Shouldn't there be and? Anyway, like, let's just confirm this point here. Therefore, we can confirm that credit card details of our merchants or their customers had not been compromised due to the attack. I also call bullshit. Uh, and the reason I call bullshit is because there's partial card data. So I quote tweeted this. And then there's the card data. This message is intentionally misleading as it can be interpreted in multiple ways. Card data sufficient to make purchases wasn't exposed. But credit card details were exposed. The type, the expiry, plus the first six and last four digits. And then I've gone on to say, look, this, this is actually really important because things like the last four digits of a credit card are used for things like identity verification. And I link through to Matt Honan's Epic Hacking, which was a decade ago now, but perfect example of how credit card details, partial card details were used to really badly take over his digital life. <laughs> that sounded really professional. Really badly take over his digital life. They end up getting into all these eye things, nuking his Mac. It was, it was miserable. Now, it's kind of funny, right, because the day after that, Payhee LK has tweeted, here's an update to our cybersecurity incident report about the data leak happened today. Finger down. We again emphasize that no full, full, emphasis mine, full card numbers have been compromised or leaked. Therefore, there's no financial risk for cardholders. Read the full report here. And then in their update, <laughs> they say, on 2nd May 2022, a website, haveibeenpwned.com, has listed the data, and then they go on and say, we would like to emphasize that no full card numbers are being compromised. And suddenly this word full makes an appearance, like the way you'd use it in full disclosure. So obviously, they've gone, oh, yeah, we're in trouble. We've got to come clean now. So gradually, it's like, I feel like I'm just like dragging them through to the point of <coughs> actually being honest. And I actually got a message from someone. They said, uh, Troy, thanks to your site, most Sri Lankans are getting to know that the POI data was breached during the recent attack on pay here. Many Sri Lankan corporates have a poor track record of owning up to data breaches, and your revelation have ensured that pay here own up to an apology the least. Okay, I think we can get what he's saying there. Uh, and sure enough, just after that, 
uh, in fact, when I look at the chronology here, I, I saw this just after that, but the, the CEO tweeted just before uh, I, I messaged that, and he said, we sincerely apologize, good on him, to everyone who was impacted due to the security incident on pay here. We messed up. Kudos to that. And now we know we should have done things differently. We've taken steps to secure our systems to avoid any further incidents, and we believe it's the start of making this right. Look, good on him for that. Um, you did cock up many times over more than a month. <laughs> you had many opportunities to actually get that right. But um, <clears throat> what else could he do at the time? It's like it, it, I, better late than never, right? So. <clears throat> Good on him for that. So that that seems to be the end of it. I didn't get any letters. Um, moving on. Comments. <clears throat> I saw someone in here ask about Avo. Uh, let's see. Where do we get to? Uh, da, da. Peter, is there any update or fallout on your fun with Avo? No. So <clears throat> Avo was the one uh, which was a website full of lawyers where I went through and I documented the, the process of trying to do disclosure and not being able to get in touch with anyone, loading it, sending tens of thousands of emails to Have I Been Pwned subscribers. Never heard anything more from them. In fact, I really didn't hear anything from Have I Been Pwned subscribers either, um, which is kind of curious. So I've done my job. Wayne, did you ever get the multi-filament feeder working? Yes. Um, <clears throat> In fact, I am I am printing a massive MMU project just at the moment. So the the, the MMU is the multi-material unit, and it it takes a normal Prusa printer where you feed one filament into the hot end and it heats it up and prints your print, and it puts a unit on front on top rather that has a selector, so you can have five different filaments and they all feed into this selector. Uh, or, or MMU unit. And then there's a selector which can sort of go across and it can choose a filament. <coughs> uh, and, and that's cool because you have five different filaments. So if you want to print something that's multicolor, which is what I'm doing at the moment, you can you can have all those different colors at once. It's There's a lot of literally moving parts, a lot of things that can go wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. So if, if you think about what needs to happen, so that in simple terms, the way a 3D printer works is you feed filament into a unit that heats it up and then it's got a little nozzle and the nozzle on mine is 0.4 millimeters wide, which is standard nozzle for these devices, heats it up and it draws little maps on an X and Y axis and then it moves up on the Z axis and it increases it in height. And, and that in simple terms is, is the way it works. Now, if you want to change colors, you're going to need to eject one filament and then load in another filament. And there's lots of things that need to happen in order to do that. Uh, so one of them is you've got this hot end with this nozzle that's got, let's say it's got all the red filament in it and you want to change to blue filament. Well, you need to get rid of this red filament before you start putting it on the model with the blue filament. So that they have what's called a wipe tower. So the wipe tower is you, you purge out this extra little bit of filament from the last color and then you start to feed through the new filament also on the purge tower. So there's a process like getting rid of the old filament, loading in the new filament, getting it so that you can now go and put that on the model. <clears throat> but also what happens when you eject the filament? Because there's about, let's call it probably about 40 centimeters worth of travel from the hot end all the way up to the selector. So you're gonna push 40 centimeters worth of filament out, where does it go? And 
the Prusa ships with what they call a buffer. And the filament buffer is this sort of flat unit where the filament can then coil up as it ejects out. And a lot of people went, look, this really isn't very neat. <laughs> it's a bit messy. It's, it's prone to tangles and things like this. So I bought an aftermarket filament buffer, uh, which many people said was good. I found that very problematic uh, for various reasons. I can go into another time if you want to, but it sort of goes into that filament buffer and to the side of that filament buffer, I had my five rolls of filament sort of all lined up in a little, um, in a little, uh, like a little cabinet. So many moving parts, so many tangles. It got really, really messy. So <clears throat> what I've done over the last month, because I've been busy, is I've printed, 3D printed gravity spool holders. And these are almost perfect. I've figured out overnight the one bit that's not perfect. And the way the gravity spool holder works is that they use the same bases that the MMU ships with in order to to sort of mount your filament rolls. And if you can imagine, uh, I would go and grab one, but it's literally printing at the moment. If, If you can imagine... As it pulls the filament, the filament sort of rolls up uh, a length that's probably about 15 centimetre long, rolls back up this little geared roller. Uh, and as you're pulling filament out, it's pulling it out and it's rolling the filament backwards towards the top. And then when you eject the filament and the filament sort of comes back to the spool, gravity allows it to roll back down to the front. And that extra filament, instead of going into a buffer, just literally rolls back over the spool. And it's really neat because there's much less moving parts. And then the bit which I've found has been problematic just overnight is it seems that when that filament rolls back down, the gradient of the spool holder is just a little bit too much because it can roll back down. It can actually pull the filament too far out of the selector such that the gears can't grab it and push it back through. So my my hacky mod overnight has literally been just to jack up (laughs) the front of the gravity spool holder so that when it rolls back down, there is less gravity and so far, that seems to have fixed it. So one of my jobs now is to just go and read a bit more about that. Maybe I can print some that just have a bit less of an angle to it. There you go, Wayne. <laughs> so when this model hopefully successfully prints, now that I've jacked up the front of my spools a little bit, I will, uh, I'll tweet a photo of it because a really, really cool looking model. And uh, I think when the kids come home from school today and they see it, they're going to be like, ah, oh, this is really cool. So there you go. I've answered all your questions. I've ticked off all my things. Peter says, uh, sounds like it's time to pre-order a Prusa XL. Now, I have been very tempted to pre-order a Prusa XL. Uh, as the name suggests, it is big. It has larger dimensions in every way, X, Y, Z. So it can print bigger models. It also has multi-material capabilities built into it uh, from the ground up. And I really, really like that idea to have it like a, a native first-party citizen uh, of the unit they're a lot more expensive uh i think i can justify it but i i haven't pre-ordered i think they're going to come out it it sounds like early in the second half of the year so i don't know maybe looking like july august kind of thing i've i feel like i'm just going to wait a little bit uh i i don't think i've completely nailed this one and i want to feel like i've just completely nailed this one and then we'll let it come out and then we'll see how it looks i like the idea of things like they say you can get yeah, perfect um, Z-index calibration every time because it does it automatically. I, I think the more stuff it takes away from me and it can just make work straight out of the box, the better. So I do see one of those on my horizon. I'm just going to give it a, a little bit of time and enjoy this one a little bit more first. Okay, folks, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm going to do this again next week later in the day. It's now 9.25 in the morning for me. By 
the time I do this in uh, Friday afternoon next week, I would have been to AusCert as well. So I'll have something else to talk about. Uh, and again, like if you're in Australia and you're going to come to AusCert, come and say good day. Uh, I'd love to chat to you and, and give you some stickers. See you later, folks. <laughs>